All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Long Lens Podcast. This is the podcast where I answer questions from my filmmaking community, and I just talk about filmmaking and YouTube and often have guests on to talk about that stuff as well. Today, we're doing another Q&A episode. I know I just did one, but the beginning of the month is typically when I do my Q&A asks. So today I'm going to be answering some questions. And for all of you Patreon supporters, if you want to actually watch this episode, I have it live on my Patreon page. So you can kind of see what my office is kind of looking like. And I'll give you a little rundown real quick of how I'm actually recording this podcast episode. I'm running two GH3s, one right in front of me, and then one as like my B cam, a little closer up angle. And then I have my Godox SL60 Mark II bicolor. It's bouncing off the slanted ceiling. And then I have a scrim or like a little silk on a light stand that's just kind of softening the light that's being bounced off of the ceiling. So really simple setup. And I'm just recording with my little dynamic mic straight into my GH3 with an XLR adapter. So I have a few questions on Patreon. Again, if you are a Patreon supporter, you get your questions answered first, plus a bunch of other perks for being a Patreon supporter. You get to have access to all of my behind the scenes videos, all of my videos that I don't post on my main channel, as well as free $5 LUTs and a bunch of other stuff. So consider joining me on Patreon if you haven't already. So the first question is from Ivan Martinek, and Ivan asks, how long do you spend editing your videos? Well, typically the lifespan of a video is around two weeks. For the most part, that is unless I kind of start something that's kind of like an ongoing project. But yeah, typically two weeks is what it takes me to get a video done that, you know, I was, like I actually want to look really good. Sometimes for quicker videos, I can get them done just in a week so I can film, edit, and just use B-roll that I've shot in the past to make up the entire film. But yeah, for the most part, it takes me about two weeks to make one of my main videos on my channel. So this next question is from Dylan McMurdy. And Dylan asks, I just picked up a GH3 a few weeks ago. I want to get a cage to support some add-ons and things. Would you recommend a universal cage or a bespoke GH4 cage? I can't seem to find any that are specifically for the GH3. And the GH4 seems to be close enough in size. Yeah, so fun fact is that the GH3 and the GH4 are exactly the same when it comes to body size. There's only a few button changes on the GH4 but as far as the body size, GH3 and GH4 are identical. So if you have a cage for the GH4, it'll fit the GH3. So right now I'm actually using a Photodeox Shark cage, which is a half cage for the GH4, but it obviously is gonna fit the GH3 just fine. And right now I think I saw on Amazon that that Shark cage for the GH4 is only $49.99, so it's like 50 bucks, really cheap. So. I would highly recommend it. It doesn't have as many mounting options as a lot of the other cages that you would find, like all the universal cages. But if you want a form-fitting one, the Shark Cage for the GH4 does fit the GH3 really, really well. It is only being sold in Chrome, but if you want to do what I did, which I just basically sanded it down a little bit, and I just spray painted it black myself just so that it looked a little bit more aesthetically pleasing. All right, we have another question from Dylan McMurdy. Dylan asks, also, what are your camera care tips related to travel? I'm taking my honeymoon in Italy later this year, so I don't know if there's a better way to pack my gear for travel. Hey, well, congratulations on going on your honeymoon. And as far as packing my gear, I typically try to take as little gear as I possibly can, especially when I'm traveling for pleasure. I'm traveling for work, it's a totally different thing, but I would recommend just try to take 
you know, one camera, one lens, uh, preferably a zoom lens. I would take a zoom lens if I was traveling. So, you know, if I was going to go somewhere right now, a GH3 with my 12 to 35 would be great. And just keeping like one lens on your body is a really good idea because switching lenses out all the time is going to introduce the possibility of dust getting onto your sensor. So if you're going to go somewhere, I would say try to just bring a zoom lens and just keep it on there the entire time. Yeah. I mean, you can bring like a camera backpack and not just use it for camera stuff. So you can put your, you know, one camera, one lens, a few batteries, a few SD cards, and then like a neck strap. You can get a lot of cool shots just with that really small setup. So I would highly recommend, you know, going as minimal gear as you can, just enjoying your trip. And when you want to film or take pictures of something, you have a really easy kit to use. You don't have to be deciding on, you know, what prime lens you want to use to try to bring a zoom lens. If you only have prime lenses, just pick your favorite prime. I would recommend like a 35 millimeter equivalent. So that's like uh, I don't know, like a, the Panasonic 14 millimeter, the DJI 15 millimeter, or even the Panasonic 25 millimeter, which is what my second angle is being filmed on. So something within that range could be a pretty good option. But yeah, as far as care, just keep it in a camera bag. And you know, if you're using a lens that doesn't have weather sealing, just try not to get it wet or in the sand. All right, the last question on Patreon is from Travis Shore. And Travis asks, how do you mitigate moray on the GH3? I shoot outdoors most of the time. Do you use a color chart ever? If so, how does that work? Is there any budget XLR to 3.5 millimeter adapter that you can recommend or a budget recorder? I use a GH3, SL2, and M50 and already use a Zoom H1n. That's why I was looking for an adapter. Okay, so for the first question, how I would mitigate moray on the GH3, the first kind of obvious one is I just try not to film things with super tight patterns on them because you're gonna get more on them. And honestly, a lot of cameras suffer from that. It's not just the GH3, but the GH3 definitely suffers from it more. If you just wanna get rid of it completely, you can turn the EX teleconverter on and that will crop into the sensor and you won't get those moray patterns anymore, at least for the most part but then you are dealing with a cropped in sensor and it's not gonna be as wide and you're not gonna be able to have very good low light performance. So there really isn't a whole lot of options. Something that I am looking into is it's the Tiffin digital effects filter, either the one, two, or the three. I've heard that the Tiffin digital effects screw on filters can kind of act like a poor man's OLPF, which if you don't know what an OLPF is, it's basically something that usually gets installed in front of your lens to get rid of moray and aliasing. But I've heard that the Tiffin digital effects filters can have that effect on your image. So I've been thinking about picking one up and seeing if it actually helps with the moray on the GH3. So might be something that I do in the future, but as far as just like free inexpensive ways, use the EX teleconverter and try not to film things with super tight patterns on them. So the next question was, do I use a color chart? And I don't typically use a color chart. I do use a gray card and that's basically all I really, really need to just make sure that my middle gray is where it needs to be. But I typically just grade things by eye and I always try to make sure that my skin tones are landing on the skin tone line of your vector scope. So. That's typically how I color grade my stuff. I've never really found myself needing a color chart unless maybe I was gonna create some LUTs and I was trying to color match some different cameras. And the last question is a 3.5 millimeter to XLR adapter. Funny enough, I'm actually using one right now. So this is the Nikama V2 XLR to 3.5 millimeter adapter. I featured this in the 
how to hack cheap cameras video. So you can kind of go back and watch that video. This one works really well, actually. It costs like 25 bucks and you can attach an XLR mic like this dynamic mic that I'm using right now for my podcast and just plug it right into your GH3. And it actually sounds really good. I've used this on multiple videos. Oftentimes don't ever even have to like adjust the audio settings. Like everything sounds really good. Just maybe put like a soft compressor on it and call it a day. So that's all the questions from the Patreon supporters. And now let's go to the YouTube community page. Okay, so the first question on the YouTube community page is, hi Nigel, can you explain the difference between AFC, AFF, and AFS? which is given the focus button on Lumix cameras. I never understood what the difference makes. So I'm pretty sure AFC stands for autofocus continuous. AFF stands for autofocus full. So you're getting the full range of the autofocus area. And then AFS stands for autofocus single. So to be honest, I never use the autofocus full, like full area autofocus. I typically, if I ever use autofocus, it's in autofocus C, which is continuous autofocus, or much more typically, I use autofocus single, which is just single point autofocus. So you can use single point autofocus and still use things like face tracking because it's not gonna actually be continuous autofocus. It'll just find your face, focus on that, and then you can start recording after you you know press in the shutter button. So if you're using a camera with good autofocus, like you know the S5 II or the S5 IIx, continuous autofocus using something like face tracking would be probably the best bet. But if you're on older Lumix cameras, I would forget about autofocus full and autofocus continuous. Just stick with autofocus single. Then you can choose different autofocus points like either face detection or single point. Single point like in the middle is typically what most people do because they can just set the focus in the middle, half press to focus, full press to start recording. But you can also use the touch screen on the LCD and just kind of touch where you want the autofocus area to be. So hope that answers that question. All right, another question is, what's the difference between metering modes? Well, I think metering modes is just where it's going to actually meter for the light. So you can either do like center weighted or I don't know, there's a few other modes. I typically don't trust the metering modes when it comes to video, when it comes to photos maybe, but typically I use the histogram. And then if I'm using a monitor, I'll use something like false color or zebras when it comes to you know figuring out what my exposure is like all right so next question is what's next for nigel on youtube slash what do you see in the future of your channel to focus on well i've talked about this a little bit before and i definitely think that i'm going to be focusing a little more on trying to do more commercial dp work and you know create my own spec ads that's something that i really want to do in the future of this channel. So that's basically what my main goal is, is just to start making more freelance work, making more spec work, and hopefully get into like my dream job would be doing commercials for like skateboarding and action sports companies. So, so if you are or know anyone in that industry and they're looking for some creatives to work with, but you know, definitely tell them to hit me up. All right, this next question is, how do you set up your ISO aperture and shutter speed? Well, this question kind of goes back to the basics and that's typically known as your exposure triangle. So your ISO is going to tell your sensor how sensitive to light it should be. Your 
aperture is going to be how much light is passing through your lens, which will also affect the bokeh in the background. And your shutter speed is how fast your shutter is exposing for light every second. So the faster the shutter speed, the faster it's going to be exposing, which means the less light is going to come in. The slower the shutter speed, the more light's going to come in because the shutter going up and down is going to take a lot longer. So motion pictures, the shutter speed is typically double the frame rate. So in 24 frames per second, you would double that to 148th of a second when it comes to your shutter speed. And then 60 would be 120, 50 would be 100, and so on. As far as my ISO, there is something called native ISOs on cameras. So most cameras, especially the older ones, their native ISO is going to be the lowest ISO that they can go. So on my GH3, the native ISO is 200. There are ISOs that still look good, like 400 and 640, but typically GH3, the best ISO performance you're gonna get is from ISO 200. On other cameras, like the Blackmagic Pocket 4K, you're gonna have dual ISOs. I think it's like 800 and 1600. I might be totally wrong on that, but on Sony cameras, it's crazy. It's like, you know, 1600 is like the, the lowest and then 25,000 is like the highest or whatever. So there's going to be two different ISOs that work really well, depending on which camera you're using and which picture profile you're using. But on older cameras, like my GH3, the T2i, whatever, those are going to be just the lowest ISO that your camera can go is typically the native ISO, which is gonna give you the best noise performance. All right, so next question is, hi Nigel, I've been following your journey for quite a while and remember the times when the good old Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera Original was your workhorse. I've been using it casually as my home video camera along with my GH5, which is my go-to right now. Have you ever planned to get one again or is it too much of a hassle to work with? Do you think it may be used for some short budget commercials or short films right now? Mostly as a challenge to not be something like a GH5 or better. I got it nicely built if needed, but also set up minimalistically recently and I love it. Yeah, so, I really did love the Blackmagic Pocket Original when I had it. Such a cool camera and kind of a revolutionary camera when it came out, but it is really hard to use. You almost have to think of it as like using an old film camera. Like you only have so long that you can actually shoot for. You gotta bring a bunch of extra batteries. And then if you don't wanna bring all those extra batteries and you just wanna shoot for longer, you have to like rig it up a lot, which kind of defeated the purpose. And that's why I eventually went back to my GH3s is because the GH3, I still feel like, even though it doesn't have RAW or 10-bit or anything like that, as far as like sharpness, for the most part, it matched pretty well with the Blackmagic Pocket Original. And so I just kind of was like, okay, I'll sacrifice 10-bit and I'll sacrifice RAW and sacrifice you know, the dynamic range just for the fact that like the GH3's battery lasts forever. It's weather sealed. It's a lot easier to use. It doesn't have as much of a crop factor as that camera does. So yeah, I feel like I wouldn't personally go back to ever using the Blackmagic Pocket Original as like my main workhorse, but having it again, just for nostalgia's sake, I can totally see the merit in that. And that's what a lot of filmmakers have been doing is they've been buying that camera again just because it was kind of like what launched their filmmaking career and they wanted to, you know, have it for nostalgia's sake. But I'm not really as into just collecting cameras just for the sake of having them and collecting dust on my shelves. 
All right, so next question is hard or soft shell tacos? Honestly, I'm not a really big taco guy, like street tacos or like hard shell tacos from like, you know, Taco Bell or something like that. They just are a little bit too messy to me. I'm more of like a burrito person. I love burritos, but if I had to choose, I'd probably pick soft shell just because hard shell just seems to kind of like get really messy really quick. But yeah, soft shell tacos if I had to, but again, not a huge taco guy. I'm more of a burrito dude. This next question is, what advice do you give someone who looks up to you? Well, if somebody looked up to me, I would definitely just you know, tell them not to doubt themselves and to try to learn as much as you can if you're in the beginning stages of your filmmaking journey. And just know that like, you're always gonna be learning. I've been doing this for 15 plus years and I'm still learning something new every single day. So don't get discouraged if you feel like you're not learning fast enough because there's so much stuff that you gotta learn and you'll never learn it all. So yeah, that's what I would probably tell someone who looked up to me, I guess. <laughs> all right, and the last question is, how is integrating EL zone on your workflow? So EL zone is something that I think a lot of small HD monitors have. It's kind of like false color, but a lot more precise when it comes to your exposure. I don't have a small HD monitor, so I don't use EL zone. And if it's available on different NLEs, I'm not 100% sure, but yeah, I just, I use false color. And even though false color isn't the most it's not the best way to judge exposure because every monitor is gonna give you slightly different ratings as far as like what they think, you know, 70 IRE is. I just learn the monitor kind of like I learned the camera. And if I'm not switching cameras and monitors all the time, I can typically nail my exposure pretty well. So yeah, that's all the questions that I had for August, 2023. Thanks to everyone again for sending in your questions. And this month I'm definitely gonna have another guest on the podcast and i definitely want to do another news with nigel segment because there have been a few things happening in the filmmaking industry that i'd love to talk about but yeah thank you so much for listening to this podcast thanks to all my patreon supporters who you know support me each month and i'm just really really thankful and stoked on you but yeah hopefully you enjoyed this episode definitely check the show notes where you can see the link to my patreon page if you'd like to support me but but anyways thank you so much for watching and i'll catch y'all next time later